<laughs> Looking around, I suspect it might have been this week, but have you ever had a day where you felt pressed on every side? A couple of weeks ago, I came home and I looked at Craig and I said, no one else can need my brain today. He goes, what? And I said, I've been answering questions pleasantly all day. And they weren't easy questions. They were needful questions. And I have nothing else to give. I have no more patience. So just you might want to run interference with our children. I still want to be a loving mom. I'm done. Like, done. Have you ever had those days? Not one more thing can be asked. We are coming to Jesus' one of those days in his life. He's come back with the disciples. It looks like they were trying to eat, but that never happened because the crowds start pressing and pressing in. So let's read about this very intense day in Mark chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. Hmm. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now the crowds were seeking Jesus out. And I think, I just want to make sure we're distinguishing Jesus' crowds from paparazzi. Because we have a lot of images of influencers. I just can't always figure out why, except for a pretty face. Literally, I was with colleagues, and they were talking, we were on a trip together, about somebody, and I'm like, okay, I know who they are, but I don't actually, I think I've missed something. What did they do? Why are they famous? I'm like, I'm sorry their marriage has fallen apart, but why is that the whole world's business? Like, I, I, like, I truly couldn't figure it out. But let's be sure 
to notice that Jesus had crowds coming because he was healing people. And he was casting out demons. And he was teaching substantively with authority. Not only that, there were probably a few in the crowd that were there because of Jesus' capacity to banter with the powers that be. But let's be clear, he was not an empty influencer with a pretty face. Apparently, to look at him, he was kind of ordinary. And he, people were pressing in because he had something to offer. You, many of you, are becoming experts in something. And you will start to feel people press in because they want your expertise. Jesus didn't even get his meal. Did you ever wonder, did Jesus get hangry? I think he must not have because he didn't get his meal and he responds wisely instead of smart-alecky as I might have. Opposition comes and it comes from the ones that love him most and know him best and the ones that are supposed to know God the most. Where does your opposition come from? Have you faced the pressure of you think God might want you to do something and your family does not understand? Or it is not within the parameters of what is deemed good and right by broader society. That is the space that Jesus is in this day. He is violating his family and he is violating his broader culture's sense of right and wrong. Now, I think you'd say, oh, but I come from a Christian family, so they would never oppose. Huh. I know Christian moms who bothered to take their children to Sunday school every week, and then said, child says, I think I'm supposed to serve the Lord kind of halfway around the globe, and same mama goes, not my child. I know Christian families who bothered to take their children and they said, yeah, we're going to do this. And the husband and the wife have been sort of in it together. And then the wife says, huh, I think we're supposed to be generous over here. And the husband says, not with my hard-earned money. And there's some conflict. And so the opposition may not look like Jesus thinking that you're crazy. Or it might. Craig and I had friends and they were both very successful lawyers. And then the husband, they had decided he was going to be the one, she was going to keep making the corporate law money, and he was going to go into politics. And there was going to be influence in helping the society. Except as he started to pray, it seemed that his political ambitions were no longer God's ambitions for him. And the way to influence society was going to be as a church planter. And his wife loved him, and his wife loved Jesus. But y'all, it wasn't pretty for a while. Because it was not the life she signed up for. She didn't marry into that life. And so when I'm saying Jesus' family, the ones that loved him most and knew him best opposed him, this isn't just 2,000 years ago. If you have not yet you will find some opposition sometimes within your family 
when you choose to walk with the Lord. Now this is a nice little Mark feature. Mark seems to have been a writer who wrote on themes. So he sandwiches two stories together. So it starts off with Jesus' family, and they're on the way, but they haven't gotten here yet. And he throws in the rest of the opposition from the teachers of the law. And they came, and they said, this work you're doing is actually from the devil. Now, Jesus comes back with a fair amount of logic. Basically, if there is a civil war, it won't stand. You cannot be divided and stand. And so he was saying, there's no way this is from Satan. And truthfully, I think as Christians, we sometimes go, <gasps> uh, what if I like blaspheme the Holy Spirit? When you know, Not the conversations you're having here, but the co- real conversations you're having with friends when you're upset or unhappy or displeased or distant from God. What is that blasphemy? What is the unforgivable? Have you ever wondered? But I want you to celebrate two things. First of all, verse 28. If this is anything to underline, it's that people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. You can be forgiven anything. This is not cheap forgiveness, but this is important for where we're headed in this passage. Forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. The gold in the bank is the love of God. And you have been forgiven, and you are also called to forgive others. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes. How do we forgive other people? The currency of Jesus' kingdom is learning how to forgive. It's not being perfect. And what was happening is that forgiveness was not the currency for the teachers of the law. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Do you know what happens here? Both his family and the teachers of the law wanted to stop the activity of the Spirit of God through Jesus. Have you ever wanted to stop the activity of God? It's messy. It can be all-consuming. It can require everything, more than you think you have. Have you watched friends who are interested for a moment in God? Like you can see it, and they start to lean in, and they want to hear the story. And then they lean back, shake their head, cross their arms, shut down the movement of the Spirit of God. We call that repeatedly a hardening of the heart. And it is not that God cannot forgive a blasphemer. We have ample evidence. Think about the Apostle Paul. God forgave his words and his actions of killing. But once he said yes, he got in line and he gave his all to following what the Spirit of God was calling him to. And this is the rub. We think the blaspheming the Spirit of God must be saying certain words, act in certain ways. 
instead of it is thwarting, it is stopping the activity of God. Jesus' own family here is trying to stop him from letting the Spirit of God flow through him. We know that this isn't an unpardonable sin in terms of his brothers, because guess what? We have the books of James and the book of Jude. Jesus has had four brothers and at least two sisters. We know at least two because it was written in plural. We don't know exactly how many. But James ended up being the leader of the Church of Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection. We know that there was grace for them to get understand better who Jesus was and change. But when we thwart the spirit of, and we deny, we won't move with, we ignore, we try to move away from what the spirit of Jesus is doing, we are blaspheming his spirit. And now it gets messy because his mom and his brothers show up. Now, I've, I've been thinking about this for several weeks and I've tried to think about it as a mother. Mm. This is not playing out in my house. If I bother to come and show up, my children better be out there greeting me and real sweetly too. In the South, we have a statement, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And that's what's going to happen here. Okay? I've tried to think about this as a sister. I bother to go and show up and see my brothers. This would prove to me they were crazy, and I would be in there, and I would rinse for coming. I'd get their shoulder, and you better believe I wouldn't. I wouldn't shame them with words in their friends, in front of their friends. But they, my brothers, would be getting outside with me. I'm having none of this foolishness. So I have some empathy for Jesus' mom and his brothers, because he is shaming them in public. They are his foundation from a societal standpoint. This is it. This is all you got. Have you ever been told, all you got is your blood? Or some, that's the southern version, but some version of, when it gets down to it, all you have is your family. Jesus is redefining family. And it is in a way that is shocking. Now, we know he still loved his mother, all the way to the cross when he makes sure John takes care. We know, as I said, he, his brothers, at least two of them, began to understand who he is. But what is so powerful is that Jesus redefined family. And he says in verse 35, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, how many of you have ever wondered, what's God's will for my life? Have you ever wondered? Now, I hate to tell you, but I don't know your individual stories. I think most of us actually want a psychic instead of what's God's will. We want to know the story looks good. It ends happily ever after. Not, oh, what if God calls me to do something hard and unpleasant? We sure don't want to be Abraham where God says, move, and I'm only going to show you where that next foot goes. I'm not even telling you where you're moving to. I just want you to leave and follow. But I also believe all of us know far more about God's will for our lives than we are living out. 
are we putting into practice the teaching of Jesus we know? Are you? I'm not. Yeah, I don't have energy. Like the last two weeks, we have had to cancel our life group. I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock. I wasn't well physically, and I'm just having to have a season of rest, not loving it. So I don't want to guilt you about time usage. There are seasons where we have more to give and less to give. But is our spirit saying, God's will, not mine? Is our spirit saying, I will love my neighbor? Okay, and then it gets messy. Because what does it say? Well, I'm going to love my enemy. Okay, theoretically I can do that. Then Jesus goes and gets messy. And he says, love them, bless them, do something good for them, and pray for them. So I want you to think about who at work, who in residence, who, you know, we all have a crazy cousin, so in your family, who has hurt you, And you are like, yeah, I'll do good for a lot of people, but not that person. That's a space where it's the will of God that you would love your enemy. Really, what Jesus wants is he wants us to come in close. And he wants us to get so much of his presence, his wisdom, his teaching, his love and forgiveness so that it's natural overflow to extend that, and that we are shaping a new family. Now, families are messy. Have y'all ever fought with a brother or sister? Craig, when he first knew me, only thought I was kind. And then he saw me with my brothers. And he said, wow, you, you speak to your brothers in a way that you don't speak to anybody else in the world. And I'm like, it's because I love them and they need it. I don't know that they would agree. In families, we understand we don't have a choice and there's mess. I want to also offer that in the family of God, there is pain and mess. It's not all sweet. And in that... Jesus says, okay, come sit with me for a bit. Your brother, your sister has done you wrong. Come in. What is my will for you in this pained relationship? Is there space, like Jesus gave his brothers, for you to really mess up and then come back a few years later and be a leader? Jesus' brothers are opposing the work God has called him to do. They are calling him crazy. And yet within three or four years, at least James is leading the church in Jerusalem. Do your relationships have that kind of forgiveness grace? Psalm 68 was read at the beginning, and it says, God gives families to the lonely. I believe that being an academic is one of the loneliest spaces for the student and for their family. Because everything centers around this task. And then the next project, paper, experiment, whatever the 
area of showing your expertise is. And then we become habituated in loneliness. And we do not know how to love one another. And guess what? Rarely will any of us put a placard on and say, I'm lonely. Um, Craig, in our first year of marriage, was angry every day. I didn't know that till later, because his anger isn't scary. My anger is quite clear. (laughs) His not so much. But what it was, was it was just hard. And we were away from our extended family. We were in grad school. And it was just hard. We were working multiple jobs each and trying to finish school. And it wasn't easy. But we didn't tell anybody because I don't think we knew to. If you are lonely, you don't always tell. And if no one else has space to be friendly, you are left alone. So, here's what I'm asking this week. Sit with Jesus. Get in close. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. If you don't want to thwart the spirit of Jesus, get in close to Jesus. And then get to know somebody new, a new brother or sister in Christ. Enlarge. If Craig and I used to talk about Lego blocks. You know how they have the tops? Do any of you play with Lego? Any of you? And so they connect to each other. What happens is your connections get full. You can't even have time to see the people you do love. There's no time to see others. Find some space for some connection with a new person. And ask God, where is it that I am having trouble receiving your forgiveness or extending your forgiveness? And then work on those relationships. Now, I'm not saying, here's, here's the thing with the forgiveness piece back in verse 28. God will forgive us for anything. We need help forgiving other people. Also, making sure you know, people say forgive and forget. Bible doesn't say that. Bible says to forgive. It does not say have no boundaries. It does not say be unwise. There are people and their brokenness is such that they will keep on doing wrong, bad, hurtful things and you want to be well bounded. Forgiving is not letting them have power over your life anymore. Is wishing them well is doing something good, is praying for their wellness. It does not mean they need to be in your inner space. Jesus had a bad day. He didn't even get to eat because the crowds were coming and wanting more of what he was trying and wanting to give. His family opposed the work God called him to. The teachers of the law opposed his actions. And then he shamed his mama and his siblings in public. But he also showed a way to have a new family. He showed a new way that forgiveness was going to look. This story 
when you know that Paul blasphemed the spirit of Jesus and yet became a great missionary, when you know his brothers here are thinking he's literally lost his ever-living mind, become leaders and part of the writers of the Bible. There's grace in this story. Have courage for the things that the Lord has called you to, and they will be messy. Craig invited me to share a story. And so today I end with the way that God changed my understanding of the family of God. When I was in middle school and in high school, I volunteered in an urban mission. Now, I wish I could tell you it was out of some really well-thought-out desire to serve. Really all it was was a family friend knew I was going to go play some, a musical instrument on a trip in the summer, and everybody else in the choir was old enough to get a job, and I wasn't. So they gave me a job volunteering in this urban mission, teaching kids. I was young. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Except then I made friends, and it mattered, and I loved it. And the Lord started to change my understanding of humanity, of poverty, of justice, of relationships, of the family of God. And in the midst of this, I was, high, I was asked to be a teen, let's see if I get this, like camp counselor for the like middle schoolers. Really what it meant is that none of the adults wanted to be in the cabin where they weren't going to get any sleep all night. And so that's ultimately my biggest responsibility. I had some money. My purse got robbed. You don't go to church camp counseling and expect to get robbed. I was. That night, um, I was sitting next to somebody kind of randomly, and he kept dozing off. And Okay, I'm old school Southern. Not anymore, but I was then, and I thought it was rude. So I'm like elbowing. I'm like, Reverend Leon's like preaching. He's like singing preaching. It was some good preaching too. And I'm like, you got to sit. And the pastor says, oh, don't worry about him. He's listening. I'm like, he's over here going. But okay. That night, Frederick prayed to receive Jesus. And he comes, and he gives me money, all folded up. And he is the one that had robbed my purse. And I said, sorry. Camp counselor training, 101, had nothing about when somebody returns your stolen money to you. So I was like, oof, flying by the seat of my pants here. And so we talked. But I didn't go crazy. We became friends. And Frederick has transformed my life because he was brilliant and yet in grade 8 could not write a proper sentence. And I didn't understand why. And you may or may not know that, but here I am 30 years later, 30 plus years later, still figuring out how to teach kids to read or write. I know a lot more now about why they can't. But it started because I couldn't figure out why he couldn't. He changed my family's life. Um, he went on family uh, holidays with us. He came for Christmas. Um, his dad was loosely in the picture. His mom is the first HIV person I've ever known. She had contracted it through intravenous drugs and loved him, but was not uh, able to parent well. Um, Frederick went on family vacations. Frederick's grandmother became an important discipler for me. She was in an old, 
a senior's home in a wheelchair. She was not allowed to have him for more than one night. And my dad tried to have him live with us. He talked with the social workers, and it wouldn't work out. It's very complicated Southern culture stuff. But this is where sometimes God says, enlarge your family, and it's not all pretty. As I said, Frederick changed my life. The only time I've ever also seen crack cocaine is when it was in his hand. And I'd gone to see him, and he was standing out there, and I knew what he was doing. I said, what are you doing? He goes, Ellen, I ain't going to lie to you. I got stuff on me. I'm like, well, throw it away. And he goes, well, I kind of get in trouble if I do that. And I was, oh, I was, oh, yeah, I was hot mad. I was big sister kind of mad. I'm like, you have been so mad about all the stuff that people did to your mama, and now you're doing this to other little boys, mama. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he goes, okay, I'll go give it back because I can't throw it away. And to his credit, he tried. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. I don't think they said, I'm sorry. I wasn't allowed in the dealers, <laughs> let's be honest. But I was outside waiting, and I was hot mad. And he, they said, I've got to finish it selling before I go with you. I'm like, well, I'm not sitting here selling this junk to other people. And then I go, yeah, I wasn't right. Like, I was in university by now, and I'm calling my daddy. And I'm like, so, Daddy, am I buying drugs if I have him put it in the gutter and I give the money that the dealers will and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and my daddy had to teach me about Romans 1. And that God lets us be given over to our sin. And sometimes, even with people we love, we have to do that. Why do I tell you the story besides the fact that Craig said, is that loving in the family of God isn't all pretty. It's transformative. I want a happy ending to tell you here, and I don't have it. Um, Frederick and his girlfriend, who was pregnant at that point with his second child, had a fight over drug money. And she shot him and was immediately sorry she did. Um, I wasn't able to see their children because the grandmother that took them when she went to jail after he died um, was her grandmother, and I just didn't know her. I still pray for them. He was my brother. My parents were going to help him go to college. But my life is completely changed. I work with kids who can't read. So they don't have to sell drugs to make a living. Because he was quite brilliant. He just couldn't read. I didn't know what dyslexia was then. But I've spent a lifetime figuring that out. His daughters are still prayed for by me. And in the family of God, when we're having pressed in days like Jesus, and we don't actually think we have space for one more, or we think we're the ones doing the serving and the giving, 
Jesus is the one that is doing the serving and the giving through you. And Jesus will change your life in sometimes the most painful ways and the most unusual relationships. So if you're not having any unusual relationships, expand your family of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come and thank you that you've let a story be told of when you were overextended and yet you had wisdom about how to answer the opposition. I pray that each of us here would be faithful, that we would love you enough and we would come in close to you. We would circle about you, allow your word and the spirit of Jesus and your ways of being to draw us into you. Make us hungry to do your will. I pray that we would receive the forgiveness that you have given us so we can extend it to others. I pray in our own life stories where we might have tried to stop the Spirit calling us to do something, you would give us courage and we could be like Paul and James and Jude and, and given a chance to, to work with you and your spirit and the, what you were calling us to. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to love deeply and know people well and to allow our lives to be transformed by what you're doing in someone else's life. Give us the courage to love well, to forgive, to grieve. We want to do your will. And Lord, I pray that we would allow your will to look your way and not the way we want it to look. That we would be obedient. We would put into practice. What's the last thing we read in the Bible? Instead of worrying about our future and our impact, we'd worry about your impact in our lives and trust our future to you. Jesus, we love you. And our families may not understand when we say you are enough and give us courage there. You are our all in all. You are the one that enlivens and enriches and deepens all of who we are. So give us courage to love the way you love. In Jesus' name, amen.